Would the Telegraph give us cash for questions? Answer me this, answer me this. Am I proof of the failure of natural selection? Answer me this, answer me this. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. And now on Answer Me This, it's time for Desert Island Discs. Hello, I'm Kirsty Young, the breathiest Scottish person in the world. And my guest today is you, because you've given us lots of feedback on our discussion about Desert Island Discs last week, and specifically the matter of what your luxury item would be. We put this out on our Facebook wall, facebook.com slash answer me this. What would be your luxury item? We've had some great responses, Helen. And some rubbish ones as well where people did not play by the rules which is no transport no communications no other people other than that you were great you guys (laughs) that's always the case on radio though generally isn't it when they say we've had some brilliant responses and then they read some out you're absolutely right the implicit thing is always some of them were really crap (laughs) well here are some of those responses uh alex uh says that uh he would bring jammy wagon wheels right as his luxury item Mm. I'm not sure they would really taste that great with raw fish, which is the thing that you're going to be eating most of the time. And brine. But they don't taste that good anyway. As an adult, if you uh, go and eat a wagon wheel, it does not taste like the wagon wheels of your childhood dreams. But the thing about wagon wheels is they don't ever seem to biodegrade. <laughs> I, I think they're, they're contravening the raft-making materials rule by taking wagon wheels. Yeah, they are buoyant. Well, uh, Robert has really thought it through, though. Uh, he says he would bring as his luxury item either a solar-powered GPS distress beacon... Mm-hmm. Or a flashlight. Smart man. Either a life of solitude or immediate rescue. Yeah, and also someone called Wayne said he would take all the drugs. <laughs> so, <laughs> thought it was a reasonable response. Um, and uh, Luce has said that she would take a lifetime supply of jalapenos. Jalapenos. I say jalapenos. It's pronounced jalapenos. Well, though. I say jalapenos. You just said jalapenos. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> well, um, that would make eating sand and bits of. Uh, seashells a little bit more appealing I guess Hello Helen and Ollie this is George from Camberwell Helen and Ollie answer me this you know that station between Baker Street and Edgware Road on the Bakerloo line how the hell do you say that name? Well I am going to go on the authority of my friend Alex who is the only person I know who regularly uses that station and he would say Marlebone. Marlebone. No I say Marilabone. Well I think that's okay as well but it's not Mary Lebony. <laughs> now, the thing is, though, it is named after a church, isn't it? With Mary right. in the name. That's right. St. Mary Le Bourne. So, yeah. although it's wrong, it is legitimate, or at least completely sympathetic, why a tourist would say M- Mary, Mary Le Bourne. Yeah. And, and mm. I think, actually, that makes more sense than Marlebone. But it's not up to us, is it? Like Hoburn, what's happening there? Oh, God, the tube network, actually, is a minefield for foreigners, isn't it? Don't say that. They'll think if they step on it, they'll explode. <laughs> but, like... Leicester Square, we all know how to say Leicester, but it doesn't, it looks like Leicester. Imagine if you went to Oxford Circus expecting, and all you've got is those people prosetalizing. Uh, but you know, you th- actually, if you look at the logical way to pronounce, yeah, Holborn, mm. Chiswick. Chiswick. Well, Ho- Hoban's another river, Bourne being river. Yeah, so that's the bone in Marlebone. Yeah, Marlebone. It's the Tyburn uh, River which went to the gallows in Marble Arch. Because it's got bone in it, <laughs> uh, it does sound a bit sexy, doesn't it? And we always, went, me and my mates when we played Monopoly when we were teenagers, when you got that chance that said, take a trip to Marlebone Station. That was about the sexiest thing that ever happened to you back then. <laughs> it was the closest thing you got to third base. <laughs> but like when people say changing at Baker Street, 
Yeah, you because know, you go from the pink line to the brown line. Wow, I'd, I'd never heard mm. that. That is filthy. It is filthy. Um, you, you hang with horrible people. That's pathetic. This, uh, <laughs> I, I already thought that Monopoly was an awful game, and now mm. I think it's even more depraved. <laughs> there should be an over-18s warning on Monopoly boxes. <laughs> well, here is a question from Zainab, who says, The ladies on ITV's Loose Women sit so comfortably on barstools with no back support. How do you know they sit so comfortably? It's just the, the showbiz smile. Exactly. They're given mm. the appearance of sitting comfortably. Oh, the ballerinas really enjoy walking walking on their tippy toes. Zainab <laughs> yeah. says, Ollie, answer me this. Don't they get backache? Probably they do. But then they'd probably moan about it again and again on Loose Women. Well, yeah, exactly. It's subject material, isn't it, for a future episode? But they wouldn't blame the stools because that would be biting the hand that feeds. Yes, I think that's right. I mean, it's like they attack celebrity culture and yet many of the Loose Women, you know, have they all look 20 years younger than they did 20 years ago. So clearly they've had some of the work that they're there to attack. They have a desk in front of them that they can lean on. I think that's sitting right. on a backless chair when you can lean forward against something is not that uncomfortable. What I would find uncomfortable if I were a presenter... Uh, is sitting on a high chair, you know, like the kind of thing that people have at breakfast bars. Yeah. I always feel like I'm going to fall off those. Well, actually, talking about ITV daytime shows, when I do the paper review on Lorraine, they put us on those breakfast bar stools. Ah. And Mm. actually, it's a trick of the camera. It all looks like the three of us are around this tiny little sort of card table size thing. But actually, to get all three of us there and the newspapers, the way they have to do it is one of us is sitting about three foot away from the table. Oh, So you're sitting on this breakfast stool, kind of marooned. And it is actually quite a delicate act, making it look like you're comfortable. But I guess that's the thing, isn't it? All TV kind of is. I also didn't like it when I used to do paper reviews on Sky and uh, they transferred the set from being desk-based to being a low sofa. I Mm. felt that was way too casual. Exposed. Very exposed, yes. And you couldn't really make a shield of the uh, photocopies of the newspapers either. Yeah, well, nowadays, you're not even supposed to have the photocopies on. You're supposed to look behind you at the big plasma screen as if that's how we all read our newspapers. (laughs) No wonder the newspapers are going down the shitter if that's the only way you can read them, by looking behind you at a plasma screen (laughs) and hoping that there is one there and it's displaying the paper of your choice. That is pretty much the future, isn't it? Mm. If you got a question, question, email your question to answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. Answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. It's great, it's great. Last week we were talking about the popular liquid Coca-Cola. We bloody were. We got some very excited feedback from people who had found their names on bottles and some who hadn't. Some were passionately defending, weren't they, why they were excited when a friend of theirs had bought them a bottle that they could share. But, uh, you know, we just see that feedback, listeners, and we just think, well, you're working for the man. (laughs) What are you going to get an office at Coca-Cola if you like him so much? (laughs) But if you loved us talking about Coca-Cola last week, maybe you'll love this question about another sugary liquid, Red Bull. Oh, right. It's from Angel from Hamilton in Ontario, who says, Holly, answer me this. Red Bull. How has this foul-tasting sugar and caffeine explosion drink become so big? Sponsoring Formula One cars, space trips, and a million other events around the world. I think you answer your own question in the second part of your question, actually. They've become so big by doing that sponsorship stuff. Really? Because usually it's the other way around, isn't it? Like... You might expect, say, Fanta to become big and then start their own Fanta flug tag. Mm. Are you saying that Red Bull thought flug tag first, drink second? 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, th- so the, the Red Bull drink itself is based on an energy drink from Thailand. Right, which uh, is why it's so sweet and disgusting and wrong. <laughs> apparently the tuk-tuk drivers used to drink it to keep them awake on long shifts oh, around God. the city. Um, and it was discovered, if you can call this kind of colonialist <laughs> mm. discovery a discovery, uh, by um, uh, an entrepreneur who went there on business. On his <laughs> tried it and thought, oh, you know, there's room for an energy drink in Europe and in America. Yeah, with bull bile in it. But, well, this is the thing. It took them years to develop the brand itself. And Mm -hmm. right from the beginning, the brand was more important than the drink because we all know the drink tastes horrible. Always has tasted and looked like medicine. I have tried a sip and it was so disgusting, I never will have it again. Yeah, now, I tried a whole can once to keep Uh. me up during the night when I was writing an extended essay about Patrick Marber. Yeah, pretty rock and roll. It tasted uh, like your Red Bull, but sweeter. um, (laughs) It just made me look like I'd been on acid all week basically you'd never know that i'd been up all night writing an extended essay you would have thought that i'd been constantly clubbing for five days so it really made you all buzzing and that's part of the appeal as well it's aimed squarely at young men isn't it yeah my brother used to drink a lot when he was doing the stand-up circuit quite heavily and he was driving long distances late at night to get home from gigs so his car footwell was full of empty red bulls yeah well it's addictive because it's a really strong caffeine mix and it works it does keep you up i mean i couldn't sleep literally couldn't sleep for about a day and a half after i had it did you get palpitations no it was only one can but I definitely I mean I felt I actually have I say I tell a lie when I say I've only had it once I've had it once since then mm-hmm. and it was when someone gave it to me at a stag do without telling me that it was a mixer Ooh. so they got me a Red Bull and whatever it was in a cocktail and actually I'd been drinking all night because it was a stag do it was like my 10th yeah. drink stag 10th drink and I felt amazing after it I did actually I... say god I feel really good now and then they tell me it was Red Bull and then I thought fuck you because now I'm not gonna be able to sleep all night and I couldn't Right. And I'm really sensitive to it. So it's really like a mood enhancer. Presumably if you drank Red Bull more often than once every 10 years, then uh, <laughs> the effect might become a bit more diminished. It's such a joyless drink. Like to Well, me, obviously not. Ollie felt great. To me, I did feel good. Vodka and Red Bull just says, I just want to get smashed. I don't well, want to take any pleasure in it. I just want to make sure I'm up for long enough to drink more booze and drink booze now. It's that, an, a, a lot of people subscribe to that philosophy, do they really not? Really just because it's not you, Martin. That's a depressing Yeah, but they might find what you're interested in depressing. They might find a Twin Peaks marathon depressing. They, they might think you like a different. They, they are idiots. They might think a man who wants to sleep 16 hours uh, each day at weekends <laughs> is depressing. But it's just a classic cocktail of uppers and downers, isn't it? Vodka, Red Bull. Yes, well, I suppose that's the point, isn't it? You get the hit of the alcohol, but not necessarily the instant depression. Yeah. yeah. Well, you don't get the sleepiness of the alcohol because you've got the Red Bull to keep you at neutral. Anyway, point is, uh, they now spend, apparently, between 30 and 40% of their annual mm. budget. That's the budget that covers their staffing costs, their distribution, their factories, everything. Wow. On marketing. Wow! 40% on marketing. That's how they can afford to send Felix Bumgardner up to space okay. and send him out of a rocket. <laughs> they do all the soapbox rates and stuff as well, like, mm. uh, like they used to have in Charlie Brown. Yeah, and the thing is, right, since Red Bull have been doing this for the last 20 years, it now seems like the kind of natural thing that a drinks company might sponsor. Yeah. But Red Bull pioneered, that, those were all minority sports. You know, soapboxes yeah. were minority sports. What did you call that one? Flugfag. Flugtag. That's yeah. the thing where someone builds a crappy flying machine and then they launch themselves into a pond. Like, they, they do it in the Serpentine right, in Hyde yeah. Park. It's quite fun, actually. It is fun. But the point yeah, is, minority fun. sport... And even Felix Bumgardner, what he was doing was minority. <laughs> it's only because Red Bull put their name... I mean, I know they bought a Formula One team, so with that exception, yeah. generally speaking, they tend to go into areas where no one else was. And that ev- event on that scale exists because of Red Bull. Right. So it's not just they're leapfrogging on the back of someone else's marketing. They create these whole events which embody yeah. their brand of like, go out, do it, gives you wings. It's a bit of a risk though, isn't it? Like if you're spending all this money sponsoring stupid sports and your drink doesn't take off then uh, you've really wasted a lot of money and then you're left with a vat of really disgusting liquid. But I think they've shown that it really doesn't matter what the drink tastes like if the brand is right. (laughs) And it really doesn't. It's not about the taste, is it? Yeah. 
you know, the, the, that is the differential fact that Coke and Pepsi have been slugging over for the last hundred years. But actually, when it comes to it, you can launch a brand that tastes horrible and no one cares. Like Fentimans. All Fentimans drinks taste like uh, dishwater. And yet because... <laughs> dishwater with an organic sugar cube in yeah, it. Yeah, but because they're in a, a nice glass bottle with an old-fashioned label, everyone assumes they're nicer than the other drinks and you they're think, disgusting. You think they're going to be great and they're always such a disappointment. Yeah. Oh, oh. Yeah. I'll take a Krabby's any day. But if Fentiman started sponsoring like the Victorian Steam Fair, mm. then I think probably a lot of people would go for that. They'd pay a fortune for this sort of brand consultation. Yeah. Why are you giving it away for free? That's, yeah, I'm not businessy. Yeah. They've, yeah, they've got the branding right. They've just got the liquid wrong. Mm. But obviously that is <laughs> no the, most, cares. No that's the most minor part. Yeah. <sighs> like Coke just tastes of sugar, doesn't it? I mean, really, like... There's oh, some, there's don't some tell ve- everyone the secret, Martin. There's some, ve- <laughs> there's some vegetable stuff in there, but you could put, like, an old Sprite in there and it would basically... <laughs> the amount of sugar that it has would completely mask it. Says the man who won't drink supermarket-owned brand colas because they taste different. So obviously yeah. it does taste special, Martin. Yeah, and Virgin Cola as well. Ugh. I like Virgin as a brand. Couldn't get my head around that. It wasn't nice. Do you remember when Virgin Cola launched and its big marketing ploy was to make its bottle look like the figure of Pamela Anderson? Because this was the mid-90s. And yeah, the I always- Pammy, the bottle was called. I always thought the bottle looked weirdly straight-sided if you're modelling it after the Pammy. It didn't have an arse, which was weird. Or boobs. It sort of had boobs because it, had, it came out slightly at the top. Yeah, but it had a sort of bulge of boobs like a, an Edwardian governess had, <laughs> but not the globes of Pamela Anderson. Yeah, that's what they should have done, Helen. Virgin Cola would still be with us today okay. if only Branson had launched it with the governess. <laughs> well, I think so. <laughs> Well, here's another question of drinks from Sarah, who says, When I was much younger and poorer, I lived in a teeny tiny rented attic flat at the top of a posh building in Bath. My neighbours were obviously a lot more well-off than me, and on recycling day, I would regularly swap some of their empty champagne bottles into my recycling box to make me look more upmarket. (laughs) That is a brilliant wheeze. Like the recycling people care, like they're going... Oh, look at this one, Dave. Take care when you throw it into the back of the (laughs) truck. Now, many years later, says Sarah, I live in my own little house in Aberdeen. Today, after coming back from walking my dog, I see that someone has put a bottle of Buckfast in my recycling bin. What's Buckfast? It seems to be a mixture of wine and speed as far as I can work out. (laughs) I've only had it once because I did not enjoy it, but it was sort of like drinking undiluted Vimto cordial mixed with port. Is it fair to say, therefore, that uh, the problem is this is seen to be a drink perhaps consumed by people who who aren't as well off as the people that Sarah was pretending to be with the bottles of champagne in Bath? Well, I think it would be fair, Ollie, because from Buckfast's quite uh, august beginnings being made by Benedictine monks as a health tonic, (laughs) uh, it has now become uh, a drink that has been cited in 6,496 crime reports in Scotland, where right, Sarah lives, okay. over the past three years. Okay, okay. That's 2,000-plus Buckfast-related crimes per year. Okay, so we're, we're talking a Jeremy Kyle-style beverage, basically. We all know where we're at. Yes, well, okay. she says, Ollie, answer me this. Is this karma? <laughs> so what does it mean, and what will my neighbours think? I'd like to say that your neighbours will just think, oh, she's great, Sarah, look at her, she can mix it up, she can have champagne, she can also have Buckfast, because she's a young, free-as-a-bird, seize-the-day, joie-de-vivre type. If my neighbours were in the habit of going through my recycling <laughs> and interpreting my character from it, I would not care what they thought. Well, I think Sarah needs to really uh, readjust her self-esteem if it's so dependent on what people think of her for things that are in her recycling. She's got a long history of it. The thing is, I don't go through people's recycling, I don't do that but I do judge people on the items that they buy. You know, in the supermarket, if I see someone and I'm like, oh, value baby food, but premium lager brand, think you've got your priorities wrong. Don't you do that? The baby will only have the good lager. 
After a hard day at the podcasting coalface, I like to relax with a movie. Perhaps send a black swan, the social network, or Pixar's Ratatouille. Where you can stream all those films and shitloads of others if you sign up for our free love film trial. And answer me this, podcast.com slash film. It's well worth your while. Because it's free. Here's a question from Rich from Hampshire, who says, I've recently broken up with my girlfriend, and instead of throwing out the various items around my room, like letters and photos, okay, so not like the bedsheets and everything she ever touched, repainting the walls, (laughs) to know what you meant, um, I have kept them. Okay. I also did this for my ex before her, and I still have a box containing all the keepsakes and memories from that relationship. Yeah. So, Helen, answer me this. Is it weird slash unhealthy to still have all these items? I can't do this for every potential girlfriend in the future. But well, you could, because a lot of the files will be digital. Yes. And a lot it of the photos. Depends how large a house you live in, doesn't it? And how many women you get through. Uh, but for some strange reason, I just can't get rid of them. And if I do keep them, is it something I should make a potential partner aware of? Or should I keep them hidden in the bottom of my wardrobe? Well, I wouldn't keep them on your bedside table. But I don't think you need to make a big issue of this. I've got a box of letters and small mementos of uh, my ex-boyfriend that I went out with for three and a bit years. And I haven't looked at them since since I first got them but I think it would be weird to throw them away because you know what if I want to look back at the museum of my life yeah when I'm old no it's a significant part of your life isn't it a relationship and your future partner will understand that in the right context yeah it just doesn't feel right to throw them away and you know you can regret throwing them away so so don't do that to yourself it might not have as much sting later as it, it does now and then you'll think oh i shouldn't have got rid of those things because it would just be a nice little memory rather than a token of pain behaving as if you have no romantic history is kind of strange as much as i understand why a current partner might feel uncomfortable or upset by the presence of those items to sort of completely airbrush any past romance from history is is stranger i think it's unrealistic isn't it although i don't like it when you make me wear that mask of your (laughs) ex-girlfriend although i would feel odd throwing out my ex-boyfriend's stuff when we split up and he got a new girlfriend, I assumed that he would throw away all the things I'd made him and letters I'd written him. And that was that was painful at the time. Now I think actually it'd probably be a relief if they never came to light. Well, disagree, <laughs> Helen. Imagine the value that Helen Zaltzman oh, Juvenilia no. could attain on eBay. Rich, if you're listening, please throw them away. <laughs> I think where you hide it, though, mm. is the issue. If I... it's hidden, ostensibly hidden, that's a problem. Yes, put it somewhere where it's with other things that don't appear to have much significance. Yes. Ordinary books. In plain sight, but a place where not many people are looking. Yeah, I think my box of letters is somewhere near our router. There's a difference yeah. in things that look hidden and like you've tried to bury them yeah. and things that are just there. I mean, this was the strategy I used as a teenager for my porn collection. <laughs> is I had all of my mags, as in my non-porn mags, uh, with spine facing outwards. Yeah. So I had a collection of Amiga Power. <laughs> and then I had a collection of the short-lived title Comedy Review. And then you had Jugs Power Review. And then Jugs Power Review in between the two yeah. with the spine facing the wall. That is a clever system so in just, plain sight. In plain sight, and it sort of melted into Amiga Power. But on the other hand, you if knew. anyone ever found it, I'd be like, yeah, it's a porn magazine. It's fine. I'm okay with it. We've probably got a lot of listeners who are thinking, why did he download and print out his porn? And he could have just streamed it and not had this problem. Hello, it's Steve from London. Um, I've heard a rumour that Dr. Fox is not a real fox. So, Helen and Ollie, answer me this. Who is the most misleadingly named celebrity and who is the most actually named celebrity? 
I think Tom Cruise is pretty aptly named, as I imagine he likes to go cruising. You're right, Tom Cruise does love P&O ferries. He's well known for that. I would say that the most inaptly named famous person is the Labour peer, Lord Adonis. <laughs> he's actually from a Cypriot family, though, that's why. Yeah, but... I mean, he didn't he, choose it. He's, he's not built... He's not, no, that is that is true. Uh, I would say that the most misleadingly named celebrity would be Philip K. Dick, because he writes oh. sci-fi rather than porn. Well, he wasn't, didn't sound like he was a dick, really, just someone with mental troubles, experimented with a lot of drugs. Mm. Similarly, Peter O'Toole doesn't sound like a tool, sounds like he's quite a sound guy. Well, I don't know, he's probably a bit of a tool, because yeah, he was uh, a drinker. Mo- yeah, most heavy drinkers do exhibit some very troubling behaviours to their loved ones. Yeah, I'd say uh, Nick Ferrari as well. Oh! He's not a Ferrari kind of guy, no. he's more of a kind of big old Rolls Royce kind of guy, isn't he? I just seem to have like one of those Japanese knockoff of like, like Italian Lexus sports cars, yeah, yeah. Like Mazda type thing. Yeah, but it, but I think we all know it would be comfortable, I mean it would have to be accommodating for a larger man, he is a larger man. It would be a big car, yeah. Big car, expensive. But not well, a Ferrari. Well sprung, good not suspension. Yeah. yeah. Well, Emma Stone, the actress, she's not made of stone. She seems very vivacious. <laughs> good point. Here's a question from Harry in Watford who says, Helen, answer me this. What the frick is going on with helium? I recently went to a local card shop to purchase a helium balloon for my niece's birthday. Yep. Textbook. Standard. But when I got there, found a sign saying there was a global helium shortage and that they wouldn't have any in for a few weeks. I then went into Clinton's, who seemed to have plenty of helium. So what was going on? Was the little shop telling the truth? And maybe, due to the shortage, they couldn't afford the sky-high prices. Sky-high. It's good, isn't it, with yeah. helium? Yeah. Uh, and only big corporations like Clinton's, who actually went bust last year, yeah. can afford it. Oh, they are doing super well. Actually, maybe they did spend all their money on helium. <laughs> And where do they even buy their helium from? Helen, answer me this. If there is a global shortage, will helium balloons soon be a thing of the past? Well, yes, there are people lobbying for that because apparently uh, there is a global helium shortage and they use 8% of the world's helium at the moment for helium balloons and they really need it for MRI scanners and other scientific essentials. That is a conundrum, isn't it? Oh, what should we have? The balloons for the people in hospital or finding out what's wrong with them? (laughs) What's more important? TGI Fridays or brain cancer? (laughs) And yet, you can kind of think, oh, don't spoil our fun. It's only eight yeah, percent. Well, if you stop using helium, you still get ordinary balloons. Where's helium from? I wasn't aware that helium was like mined at all. I thought you well, could make it. It is in the air, right? Uh, but it's usually the byproduct of natural gas, and apparently production of that is down. And also, it's because uh, in the nineties, America, which had a huge stockpile of helium, uh-huh. started selling it off at rock bottom prices, thinking, ah, rock well, bottom, sky high. Yeah, we'll always be able to get more helium. And and that meant that people were not that bothered about collecting helium, so they just let a lot of it go to waste drift off and now they're kind of stuck for where they're going to get the helium from NASA uses it uh, they use it for wind tunnels uh, it's, it's very useful but people have been a bit slapdash about it helium is very light so it just, just disappears out of the atmosphere unless you capture it in a balloon and then put it in an MRI scanner for later so why do we think that the small shop didn't have it but Clinton's did was Clinton's well, being irresponsible or do they perhaps have the buying power to have a bigger stockpile I reckon I reckon they've got a stockpile yeah. I reckon that when they use their last helium then Clinton's will finally disappear <laughs> I was I was more surprised to find out that Clinton's is still going I than I was to find out there's a global helium shortage but their business is based on the fact that people will always be lazy and people will always have birthdays I feel a bit sober about the whole helium issue here's a question that will cheer you up then okay. Ollie it's from Ellie who is from Bangor in Northern Ireland and she's 22. 
Right. She says, Ollie, answer me this. You know the expression, dressing to the left or dressing to the right? I do. It's about cocks. What does it mean? It's about cocks. It's about which trouser leg you put your penis down. That's right. <laughs> You've got one that is the length of a trouser leg. <laughs> Martin Martin blushes and, and just nods it's quietly. About, it's about which shoe will be providing you sexual <laughs> stimulus that day. <laughs> Martin has to wear a bride's train behind him just to cover up the fact that his head is dragging along the ground. I might have to rephrase your question for you, Ellie. Mm. Uh, as Ollie answered me this, how have I got to the age of 22 without yes. knowing this very basic expression? Yeah. I mean, I actually, I mean, I don't think all dongs swing one way or the other. Some are central, aren't really? they? Really? Perhaps Ellie's experience of boyfriends is they've all got bang-on penises. I think that is going to be very unusual. Like that, a spirit um, level. Because, like, the seam of your garments is going to get in the way. Yeah, 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 that's and also, true. You have to choose one or the other, even what, at the top end. What pair of knackers is perfectly symmetrical? I think it's. Yeah. T- I think testicular symmetry is quite a big factor in this, actually. Right, yeah. Mm. Because I, I, it I, leans I, you one way or the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, there might be more room on one side. Right. But I think if you're if you're trying to wear pants, how how can you aim for symmetry? How how? So did did do most men have a preferred side, or is it do they just well, do, you, do they alternate depending on the day of the week? Do you? You're a man. I have a preferred side. Yeah. In your sample group of yeah, one, you yeah, prefer yeah. a side, Ollie. Do you prefer a side? I have no. I don't think about oh, it. Right, you can go okay. either way. You're very laid back about. These I'm quite things. conservative in these matters. I can, right. Yeah. I something if chafing's happening, I'd I'd prefer to <laughs> I'd prefer to squish and direct upward than choose a trouser leg. Well, yeah, but that's an, that's what in us physicists would call a point of unstable equilibrium. <laughs> so that's that, that, that's a, it's stable, but then you, you're going to break the symmetry at some point. It's going right. to fall to one side or the other. Thank you for putting educational gloss on this ridiculous question, Martin. <laughs> I think, yeah. Actually, you know, there's been this recent trend for the drop crotch trouser, I did as not worn know by Bieber and Kanye West and people. It's where it's where essentially. Your trousers sag down to your knees, so you could just... Our kids have been rocking that for the last 10 years anyway, haven't they? My dad's been rocking it since the (laughs) 60s. So that would mean you didn't have to choose a trouser leg. You could just swing free. Maybe that is why people like it, even though it looks stupid. It looks like Bieber has shat himself. I'd be concerned that the pendulous motion of my penis would knock the earth off its axis, though, if that started going. This question has made Martin a real braggart. (laughs) Well, after yet another penile section of Answer Me This, I feel I must apologise to Melvin from Israel, who says... (laughs) When I listen to Answer Me This, I'm usually doing so with headphones whilst pottering in the kitchen. Right. My kids, aged 11, 8 and 3, are often in the adjacent room and hear me laugh out loud at your material. Thank you, Melvin. Okay. Lovely, I'm not seeing a problem so far. Occasionally, my eldest has asked, what's so funny? Ah, now I see the issue, yeah. And I'd like to stick an episode onto his MP3 player to show him. However, clearly not an episode that begins with the etymological investigation of the phrase dickbag or the the ruminations about the difference between a sleeve and a condom. He's got to learn about the differences between sleeves and condoms sometime, though, Melvin. It might as well be through us. Anyway, Melvin says, Ollie, please answer me this. Is there an episode or two of Answer Me This which is kid-friendly or even kid-friendly-ish? Oh, that's really tricky because, yes, there is. Almost certainly, because we've been doing hundreds of these. But trying to remember which ones where we didn't talk about issues like dick bags is quite hard because yeah. there's usually a there's usually some sort of uh, deviation into the uh, sexual isn't there e- even if there isn't because some episodes have been so clean that i've even considered removing the explicit tag on them on itunes yeah however there might be a couple of swears in there so if you think clean content but with the occasional bit of ripe language is all right for an 11 year old because they're quite worldly 11 year olds yeah. then maybe that would be all right but if it's swears and rude content i think in episode 59 we 
on a similar plea from a parent, did a swear-free episode. We did. We did a swear-free mm. episode, which basically meant Martin isn't in it at all. <laughs> it's very limited fact, vocabulary. In fact, I think Martin was in it less than in the episode when Martin actually wasn't here and we filled him in using a machine. Because of you, Melvin, I'm going to introduce a child-friendly tag on our episodes because I think to ascertain whether you think they're suitable for your child, if you browse through the posts about the episodes on our website, then you'll see whether they contain tags like sex yes. or filth or yuck yeah. and uh, <laughs> maybe steer clear of those episodes I'm just going to put child friendly on All the right. podcast Melvin. so there will be 259 untagged episodes thus far <laughs> but if anybody who is a keen listener and has been cataloguing all of our stuff wants to let me know which ones are suitable for 11 year olds then let me know and i'll put up a list for you fine good idea yeah Uh, also by the way if you want to listen to episode 59 the swear free episode or indeed every episode from uh number one to 120 uh including our guest episodes with pappies and josie long wow uh, retro times yeah lots of stuff Mm. behind there and our 100th anniversary edition oh crikey there's lots of good stuff there you can buy those classic episodes on our website answermethispodcast.com or you can get them on itunes as well if you like an impulse purchase and our website of course is the place to go to find out the details of how to send us a question uh, which you will want to be doing uh, mm. because after next week we are having a three-week break yes yeah. ollie's got to move house martin's got to go to a conference you see how these things happen listeners but we will return next week and hopefully you will too bye, bye.